If you want to become the philosopher's stone, O soul, read the Bani of the Satguru. This is the Bhajan J. Paras Hona Ijindarie on page 151. Come on, dear ones of the Satguru, and sing the true Bani. At least sing the Guru's Bani, as that Bani is above the others. Those who have good fortune and grace in their heart dwells the Bani. Drink the nectar and always remain in the color of God as the rainbird remembers the water. Nanak says, always sing as this is the true Bani. If you want to become the philosopher's stone, O soul, read the Bani of the Satguru. Bhajan of Guru Amar Das on page 151. Sik sat guru ke pyaryo Avo Bani Bani Asire Bani Jindari E Parasat Guru Di Bani Jai Parasahona E Jindari E Parasat Guru Di Bani Samani jindari e parasat guru di bani Jai parasahona e jindari e parasat guru di bani Jai parasahona e jindari e Guru di bani pivo amrit sadraho hariranga pivo amrit sadraho hariranga japiyo saranga pani jindari e parasat guru di bani Jai Parasahona E Jindari E Parasat Guru Divani 
जिंदाड़िए पर सत गुरु दीवानी काहे नानक सादा गावो काहे नानक सादा गावो ए हो साची पानी जिंदाड़िए पर सत गुरु दीवानी if you want to become the philosopher's stone also Read the banning of the Satguru. Our next bhajan is on page 174 on the bottom. Jo mangeta kurapane te sori sori deve. The Lord gives whatever is asked from him. He has spread his power in the four directions and has put his hand on my head. Looking with gracious eyes, he has removed the pain of his servant. Master, who is the Lord, protects his people himself. Removing all the bad qualities, the compassionate and forgiving one embraces me. The Lord gives whatever is asked from him. Whatever Nanak the servant speaks from his mouth becomes true here and hereafter. The Lord gives whatever is asked from him. Bhajan of Guru Arjan Dev on the bottom of page 174. Jumange thakure apne te Sohi sohi deve Jo mange thakure apne te Sohi sohi deve Chatura di sakhi no balai apna Sira uparakar dharyo Chaturisakhi no balai apna Sira uparakar dharyo Kirpakata kavalokan kino das kadu kavidario. Kirpakata kavalokan kino das kadu kavidario. Jo mange thakure apne te, soi soi 
one intellectual and the other purely spiritual. Or you could say one theoretical and the other practical, although God knows um, they both have a lot of both. Anyway, I thought that um, I would begin today by reading the first section, the introductory section of The Crown of Life. It has, I realize that many initiates do not know this book. Um, it's published in 1961, and it's really quite unique. Uh, it's Master Puts the Path practice of Shabad Yoga in the context of Indian thought in general, uh, both other forms of yoga, Vedanta, and especially the non-dualistic Vedanta or Advaitism, as well as uh, the various religious traditions of the world. And it's very important contribution to spiritual literature, I think. I've always felt that since I first read it back in 1960, or actually, yeah, 19, it was probably 1962 when I actually saw it. It has been one of my favorite books of all times. As Judith used to say, the crown of life is the crown of books. Anyway, this is chapter one called Yoga and Introduction, which is the first part of part one, which is called the Yogic Patterns. All the great teachers of humanity, Master says, at all times and in all climes, the Vedic Rishis, Zoroaster, Mahavira, Buddha, Christ, Muhammad, Nanak, Kabir, Baba Farid, Hazrat Bahu, Shamas Tabrez, Malana Rumi, Tulsi Saad, Swamiji, and many others gave to the world but one sadhana or spiritual discipline. As God is one, the God way too cannot but be one. The true religion or the way back to God is of God's own making. And hence it is the most ancient as well as the most natural way, with no artifice or artificiality about it. In its practical working, the system needs the guidance of an adept or a teacher, well-versed in the theory and practice of paravidya, the science of the beyond, as it is called, for it lies beyond the grasp of the mind and of the sense faculties. Where the world's philosophies end, there the true religion starts. The scriptural texts give us at best some account of the path, so far as it can be put into imperfect words, but cannot take us to the path, nor can they guide us on the path. The spiritual path is essentially a practical path. It is only the spirit, disencumbered, and depersonalized that can undertake the spiritual journey. The inner man, the soul in man, 
has to rise above body consciousness before it can traverse into higher consciousness or the consciousness of the cosmos and of the beyond. All this and more becomes possible through the Surat Shabad Yoga, or the union, which is what yoga means, of self in man, the Surat or consciousness, with the Shabad or sound principle through the grace of some master soul. In order to have a clear idea of the teachings of the masters from the hoary past right to the present time, it would be worth our while to study the nature and extent of the Surat Shabad Yoga and its teachings in relation to the various yogic systems as taught by the ancients, and also the principles of Advaitism as propounded by Shankaracharya. The term yoga is derived from the Sanskrit root yuj, which means meeting, union, communion, consummation, abstraction, realization, absorption, or metaphysical philosophizing of the highest type that promises to bring close proximity between the soul and the oversoul, jiva-atma and paramatma or brahman. Patanjali, the reputed father of the yoga system, after the fashion of his progenitor Godapada, defines yoga as elimination of the vrittis or modulations that always keep surging in the mind stuff or chit in the form of ripples. He calls it chit vritti naroda, or the suppression of the vrittis, that is, clearing the mind of the mental oscillations. According to Yaganavalkya, yoga means to effect or to bring about at one of the individual soul with Ishvar or Brahman. The yogins generally define it as the unfoldment of the spirit from and disrobing it of the numerous enshrouding sheaths in which it is enveloped in its physical existence. Santmat, or the path of the masters, far from denying any of these objectives of yoga, accepts and endorses in full all that is said above and in some measure agrees to the aims and ends thereof, but regards them at best as mere pointers to the goal. It does not rest there, however, but goes beyond and tells us of the way out of the mighty maze of the universe and the way in to the heavenly home of the Father the spiritual journey that the spirit has to undertake from death to life immortal, fana to baka, by rising above body consciousness by means of a regular system of self-analysis and withdrawal of the spirit currents from the body and concentrating them at the seat of the soul, tisra till, and then gradually passing through the intermediary centers beyond Bunk Nau, the inverted tube-like passage, until it reaches the final stage of consummation and attains at one with its source. Here one might ask the question as to the need for union 
between the soul and the oversoul, when the two are essentially the same and are already embedded one in the other. Theoretically speaking, this is correct. But how many of us are consciously aware of this and work practically in the light and life of this knowledge and awareness? On the other hand, the soul is always following the lead of the mind, the mind that of the senses, and the senses that of the sense objects, with the result that the soul, by constant association with the mind and the senses, for ages upon ages, has completely lost its own individual, undivided identity, and has for all practical purposes become identified with the mind. It is this veil of ignorance which has come in between the soul and the oversoul that has to be removed to enable the soul to come into its own, to realize its inherent nature, and then to seek its real home and gain life eternal. All religions were originally designed by man solely with this end in view. But unfortunately, in the course of time, man gradually drifts away from reality and becomes the slave of his own handicrafts and religions as religions deteriorate into institutionalized churches and temples, rigid codes of moral and social conduct, lacking the living touch and the pulsating life impulse of their founders. I know no disease of the soul but ignorance, says Ben Johnson. How to remove the veil of ignorance is the problem of problems. We have allowed it to grow into an impervious rock too hard to be blasted. Still, the sages have provided various means to rend the otherwise impenetrable veil, such as Ganana Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, and Karma Yoga, and other methods. The light of true knowledge, as visualized by Ganana Yoga, may be able to dispel the darkness of ignorance, just as a lighted candle may dispel darkness from a dark room. By bhakti yoga, one may be able to change the course of hatred, separateness, and duality into that of love for all, at-one-ment and oneness with all living creatures, and thereby be established in the all-embracing love for all. Finally, by means of karma yoga, one may be able to root out feelings of selfishness, egocentricity, self-aggrandizement, and self-love, and engage in charitable deeds of philanthropy and similar activities, which may be beneficial to mankind in general, and acquire fellow feelings and love for all, see the reflex of the universe within his own self, and that of his self in all others, and realize ultimately the principle of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. These are, in the main, the three paths, or rather, three aspects of an integrated path of head, heart, and hand, whereby one may achieve the desired end, the union of the soul with the oversoul. They may, for convenience, be briefly termed the process of self-mastery, 
self-sublimation and self-sacrifice, leading ultimately to cosmic consciousness or awareness of the all-pervading reality as the basis of all that exists. The objective in each case is the same, and each aims at the same target. Though in the initial elementary stages, each of them starts from dualistic considerations. It is from dualism that one starts, and in non-dualism or Advaitism that one ends. And for this, one may take to the path of divine knowledge, of universal love and devotion, or of selfless service of humanity. The target ever remains the same, though the archers aiming at it be so many. Rajab. In Gnana Yoga, for instance, one has to develop the faculty of discrimination so as to be able to distinguish between agyan and gyan, that is, ignorance and true knowledge, the illusory character of maya, and the reality of Brahman. When he is convinced of the latter, he gets glimpses of nothing but Brahman, pervading everywhere in its limitless essence, imminent in all forms and colors, which take their design and hue from that essence alone. This perception is the dawning of true knowledge and divine wisdom. In bhakti yoga, likewise, we begin with the twin principles of Bhagat and Bhagavant, or the devotee and the deity. And the devotee gradually loses his little self and sees his deity all-pervading, and his own self expands so as to embrace the totality, as does his own Ishiteva. Whoever enters a salt mine tends to become salt. As you think, so you become. Again, in karma yoga, one may enter the karma kshetra, or the field of actions, under some impelling force to begin with, but in course of time he learns the value of selfless karma. Karmas, when performed for their own sake, without any attachment to the fruit thereof, cease to be binding, and by force of habit, one gradually becomes nay karma, actionless in action, or a still point in the ever-revolving wheel of life. In this way, when one from the circumference of his being reaches the center of his being, he acquires inaction in action and is freed from the binding effect of karmas. And I'm going to stop there for today on this, but we'll continue with this book in future months. And I would like, there's quotations from this particular section um, have remained with me. We have allowed the veil of ignorance to grow into an impervious rock too hard to be blasted. I can't tell you how many times that particular phrase has come into my mind in the connection with, with what we have to do. An impervious rock, too hard to be blasted. And the, um, the understanding, which I think is easy to overlook, 
although it's certainly plain enough if we if we go into teachings of the masters at all that the various forms of yoga particularly the psychological yogas which the ones he mentions here ganana yoga bhakti yoga and karma yoga that they are actually all part of the path there is no it is not that shabad yoga exists in opposition to them it's that it exists inclusive of them so that when we practice the path we do practice ganana yoga bhakti yoga and karma yoga that the practice of the path as the master teaches it involves those things that it is an integrated path of head heart and hand and made possible the 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 motor power behind all of those things the things that make it possible to do that is of course the power of the sound current which um gives us the impetus or the momentum if you like to actually do these things that's the and of course um the the um uh, path of guru bhakti very specific type of bhakti yoga uh in which we identify with the love of the master and um uh, eventually become him so it's this is powerful stuff and uh it's a book that um stays with you and is you know it bears reading and rereading and rereading and it, to my great joy when i went to india in 1969 having begun the santani press at that point um and i requested master for permission to print some of his books at it which i had no i had no way of knowing whether he would grant grant the permission or not he did he gave by the time i went back in addition to the magazine satsandesh which he told me i was going to be editor of i also had um three books to print the first one was the crown of life which had already been edited Stanley Shinerock had edited it <clears throat> the next two which were prayer and narma word he gave to me to edit at that time but uh crown of life was ready to go so it was the first one and uh it was enormously satisfying and uh joy giving to me to be able to print that great great book tremendous honor and in connection with that i want to read morning talk number 33 called what is love and uh again these talks cannot be uh, overrated and they cannot be forgotten once you get into them so master says what is love everybody says that i love god i love the master but what is love love is the fruit of a tree it is the ultimate goal which develops and comes up within us 
We should love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. Is the heart one or two? The heart is only one, and you can only give it to somebody whom you love. If you give away your heart to somebody, then what remains with you? You will think in the same way that he thinks, not in your own way. This is the ultimate goal. Lord Krishna said, O my disciple, the heart is only one, and that Lord Krishna has taken away. If your heart has already been given to the God in man, then nothing remains to be given separately to God. So first, our heart should be whole, not broken into pieces. When it is complete, only then can you give it. And notice how this connects with uh, another thing that has always stuck with me in the first chapter of The Crown of Life, namely the definition of individual as undivided. Uh, that is the, the etymology of it. That's what it means, undivided. And yet, most of the time, for most of us, for most people in the world, that's an ideal, not a reality. And uh, that's the first thing that we have to do, of course, is to become undivided. Our heart should be whole, not broken into pieces. When it is complete, only then can you give it. Our master was once giving a talk, and he said, All right, if any of you can give your heart, you can go straight to heaven. One man stood up and said, Well, I give my heart. The master asked him, have you controlled your heart? No, replied the man. Then how can you give it, said the master. You can only give something which is under your control, that is in your possession. The heart is led away by the outgoing faculties here, there, and everywhere. Unless it is concentrated, how can you give it? We have no control over our heart. It is dragged away in so many ways. So I was just talking about love. Love is the ultimate fruit of a tree. We wish, we'd like to have something, but it is only a wish. The heart is given only when you withdraw it from all outside things, and it is under your control. So there are steps leading to this control. What we have got is only we wish, we like, let it be done like this or that, but it is not yet done. So there are steps leading to this, and the first step is, if you love me, keep my commandments. What are those commandments? Love thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. The word heart is there, with all thy heart not a heart that is cut into pieces, here, there, and everywhere. So let it be complete, first of all. We love God out of some liking, some wishful thoughts, you might say. So the ABC starts from heed my commandments. For instance, in the West, when the policeman in charge over there says stop, even the people stop. I saw it myself when I was over there. This, the fact that Master would say this, by the way, many of us commented on this, is, points up some of the differences between 
public behavior in India and in the U.S. at least at this time. And if you've ever um, traveled through the streets of Delhi, for example, you'll see what Wahimaster says this. It's really very funny, I think. When the policeman in charge over there says stop, even the people stop. I saw it myself when I was over there. If the master or anyone whom you love says stop, then stop there. Don't take a further step. But do we keep his commandments? We don't. Then where is our love? We hanker after love. We have wishful thoughts to have love, but we have not yet got love. We have not laid the first stone of the building of love. The foundation starts when you keep his commandments. Then he says, all right, devote regular time to your meditations. Weed out all imperfections within you from day to day. We say that we have got no time to keep the diaries. We have not even started as yet what to speak of love. Further, if we wish to have thoughts of somebody, love of somebody, we shall always be thinking of him. It is told of one Majanu, he was a great lover of Lila, that once he was seen hugging the feet of a dog. The people asked him, what are you doing? Are you going mad? No, no, he replied. I have sometimes seen this dog going into the street of my Lela, whom I love. If we love somebody for the master's sake or for the sake of God, this is a sign that you are growing in love for your beloved, for your master. These are the foundation stones, not love as yet, mind that. Love is giving away of your heart. The heart is one, and when it is given away to somebody, then what remains? Malana Rumi says, when you have accepted your master once and for all, even the prophet and God both are there in him. So our respect goes to God once we have given our heart to where he is manifested. As I told you at the very beginning, love is the fruit of a tree. First, we start with wishful thoughts, likings, to have something by comparative discrimination or by reading scriptures. Whom should we love? The soul should love God because a conscious entity must go to all consciousness. That is but natural. It has been attached to the outward things of the world, and the result is we come and go where we are attached. Everybody is convinced from their own level of thinking that they love God. God we have not seen, but he is manifested in some human body. If we say that we love him, then our foundation stone will be laid by keeping his commandments, first of all. Second, if you love somebody, then you will also love those who go to him. We criticize, we sometimes fight, even with those who are on the same way as us. Then where is our love for the master? These are the stepping stones, but there are further steps. When you grow in love for God or the God in man, they are one and the same, naturally you will hanker after him. You cannot forget him. You would like to have the company of somebody who has first-hand experience of him or who has been with him. Further, you would like to be near him, as near as possible. If you are not there, but you hear someone who speaks of him, 
your heart becomes full and overflows through your eyes. This is a symptom that you are growing in love for him. These are the blossoms which herald the appearance of the fruit. If rain is expected, first you will have clouds. If there are no clouds, there will be no rain. If there are no blossoms, there will be no fruit. So to develop this love, we must first obey his commandments, second, weed out all imperfections, and third, devote time to the spiritual practices. You should also have the company of somebody who just reminds you of your ideal. Avoid the company of all others in whose society you are attached to the world or forget him. If you cannot have the company of those who can help you to remember him, then it is better to live alone. Live with the masters speaking through books, through the scriptures. You'll be better off. A further symbol that in your love you are drawing closer to him is that you will feel separation. You will hanker to see him. When you hear about him, your heart will become full and tears will roll down from your cheeks. These are the symptoms to show that the fruit is ripening. These things are the blossoms. Ultimately, when the fruit comes, you are for the master and the master is for you. These are the steps, and we have now to judge where we stand. We should not hear anything which is not according to the scriptures, that is not in accordance with what God would say, even against any propaganda which may be carried on. You follow my point? We say we love God, we love our master. This is all right, but where are the outward symptoms? How does it start? Love is the giving of your heart once and for all. It cannot be retaken and given to somebody else. We can only give our heart when it comes under our control. We cannot give it otherwise. We can only have wishful thoughts. So this is something very practical that we have to wade through, I would say. Rome was not built in a day. Love is developed in the direct company of the master, or indirectly when you become receptive, even from thousands of miles. The time will come when you will say, who is living in this body? Am I? You will forget yourself. You will see the master in there. When you fold your hands, they will be the master's hands, not yours. So love is the ultimate fruit of the goal. That is why St. Paul said, God is love and love is God. We have not gone into the depths of what is love. All speak of love, but where do you actually stand? If a man says that he loves God but hates his brothers, that is no love. I think Christ said once that if you do not love your brothers whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you have not seen? If you have no love for those whom you can see, how can you have love for him whom you have not seen? You follow my point? This we can watch. A man can have self-introspection and see for himself. I know what I am making for my own self after this life. Everybody can know if he will simply tap inside. He can unravel himself and see like a strict judge where he stands. 
Can we boldly say, I love my master, I love my God? This ideal appeals everywhere, in homes, societies, countries, all the world over. These are the various aspects of love that I am explaining. Yesterday was one aspect, the day before another aspect, and today I have put yet another aspect before you. So from today you should judge where you stand. Are you really loving God? Are you really on the way? If so, then it is all right. That you can better judge in your actions, not talk. As I told you, the ABC starts from keeping his commandments. These are the symptoms to show that you are beginning to love God or the Master. It all starts with keeping his commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments, Christ said. Really, your love lies in the fact that you must be of service to others. Those who love God and hate their brothers and others of his creation, how can they love God? This is only mere lip talk. Go into the depths and find out where you stand. Loving each other, sacrificing one's own self for the other, this is the first thing to show. You should love all who come, whether they are disciples or not. This is the beginning of growing into love. Just to think about it won't help you. You must put it into practice. You must live up to it. Some think that they will create a heaven for themselves by serving the Master. But you can create heaven right here by living humbly, simply, lovingly at the feet of the Master. Kabir once said, I went to the house of my father and found that he was not there. I came to know that he was living with the saints here on earth. You can create heaven on earth. This is what is meant by let thy kingdom come on earth. It can come only if you live in this way. Now decide by going into your hearts where you stand. Boasting won't do. You must prove it by your actions. These are fine details which are not given in the books. Many things are wrought by the attention. The very words given with attention can go to the heart. A living book will help you, and the Master is a living book. Those who are chosen are fortunate. They should prove worthy of being chosen. You would not like to leave the heaven at the feet of the Master and go to another heaven above. God resides in the company of the saint. And I want, um, the tape today is something different, and I hope came to me very strongly to play this. This is a talk given by Master Kripal Singh from 1955, when Master's was quite young. I mean, this, this was his first trip to the West. He was 61 years old. And as 
from 1972 when he was pushing 80 and, uh, you know, had been through a major operation and was basically exhausted physically. Um, we, this is quite a surprise to hear the way that he spoke in 1955. And this is the most direct and practical talk on meditation that exists by any master, as far as I know. And it's worth, you know, working to try to understand it. I have often quoted parts from it. Uh, for one thing, many parts of it he, he said over and over, and those of us who spent time with him heard him say them many times. But seldom does he put it together in quite such a way as he does um, uh, in this talk. And uh, this was an informal talk. A group of satsangis were gathered together. And uh, there are you know, interruptions, things happen. And the second half of the talk is actually about keeping the commandments. Which, by the way, that phrase of Christ's, if you love me, keep my commandments, which is from the Gospel of John, that was on a sign at the house, at the porch, on the porch at Master's house at Salman Ashram. So any time he went there to have darshan, behind his head and above a little bit was a placard which said, if you love me, keep my commandments, dash Christ. And it was like a perpetual reminder that uh, love is not just saying, I love you. It's living according to his priorities. As he says in the talk, making his priorities our priorities. Beautiful thing about the Master and the, the marvelous, magnificent thing about the Master is that he not only told us to do that, but if we could be receptive, open our hearts to him. He gave us the grace that we could make it happen. And, you know, it's like, as he says, it is he who first loves us. Our love is reciprocal. And if we, we I think all of us have had the experience of if we really remember him and uh, you know, we go back and remember the times that we were with him, times we were at his feet, this or that. Uh, the grace begins to flow, the power comes, and we begin to become more like what he wants. We begin to become that which he talks about. So that it isn't just, when he says he gives us capital to start with, he is not just talking about a specific experience at the time of initiation is much more all-encompassing than that. It gives us the power to do what has to be done. And we have the, the free choice to get in the way of that whenever we want, and most of us do most of the time. But I think we all know that this does not have to be that way, and that we have the capacity to be open to him, to be receptive to him, and to allow him to work in us as he says in one of his Christmas messages, like a flute, be empty from within so that the Master can play on us. All right, we will hear. This is from 1955, I think in Washington, D.C. 
uh, Master talking about meditation, and the first few minutes are not so easy to follow, but I think if we are patient, we'll be able to follow most of it quite easily, I hope. Anyway. Our sister said, Why can't I do it? 
all the fruits you will eat in your memory, your tongue, kareta, heart, involved. Don't mention anything. But not to eat. You are keeping the danger of those fish. Keep that in the wings. Continue looking to keep mildly constantly. Don't think about that. Side by side, if you do mental, I can repetition mentally, quickly, you got that. The repetition will be very bad. Because at one thing you can just pick up your wings. In other words, he is not even fish. Mildly, constantly, penetrating. You want to see, look, look, look more, just, just, wait, just as you fill the other night, you see, in the tire, you see, you fill it again and again and again like that, look mildly, more mildly, still more mildly, and then you have to repeat the names, the only names, very, very strong. Why do you tell that don't mean in this was not that. <coughs> I mean that it always. You have to get only charging from the words. You are not taking up the meaning of your mind. There are other little things like what you see. These are the if you do that then you see you go up, see for your own terms, what is made of the scriptures. You feel like a one, you want to be more able to go ahead there today. But for that one thing, have to try to the right of it. This is incredibly accurately understood here. And that constant regularity is required. Let's know they pass without devoting time to the spiritual practice. This is the food of the soul. That is the bread of life. Give bread to the soul first and then bread to the body. This is most important. It is pretty to say that we have to have no time for this. We say we have no time. You must find that Because before you have come today, you better know that they can be actually in the night today. What do you do? Are you prepared? They will not notice you. That the party will be in the gate of the decay. They do get some notice before I But only to know who do something. They are not even not done anything at all. Then they will come. Now at the very moment of ending, Master might come down. But not before. So that is why I have laid stress on this thing. Give time. Let know your past without the sufficient kind of eyes. You see? I always in four hours a day, two in the morning, one in the evening, one at night. Man putting in that way time will never have any cause for it. Completely. If you do it correctly. Out of twenty-four hours. You cannot put his four hours in the beginning, but now I start from two. No, after that. At least. When I came to his master, I asked him how much time I should put in for the city In 1924, he said, always put in five to six hours a day, in, at the least, and the more you can put it. 
Vajan is on page 256, and we do have Prashad. Guru, 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 say Guru, Guru with love. You have got the human body with a great fortune. Take advantage of this. Meditate on the Nam as much as you can. However much you have slept thus far is enough. At least now open your eyes. Thanks. Say Guru Guru with love. 
Whoever has moved the rosary of the Nam of the Master with true heart, all his illusions and secrets were erased because such a light was manifested within. Drink the nectar of the Nam of the Guru. Make your life interesting. Say Guru, Guru with love. The holy Nam of the Master removes the heat of passions, curses, and anxieties. The Satguru is hungry for the love and affection of the devotees, as was Krishna or Rama. The moments which are spent in the Simran are precious. Say Guru, Guru with love. Whenever the devotees remembered him, he came running barefoot. He always embraces the poor ones and he always gives support to the weak ones. O Kripalji, give me the alms of Nam. This is the request of Ajayb. Say Guru, Guru with love. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 256. Oh, <laughs> 
with loves. May God bless us all.